Hello, my conservation friends. It is your host, PB Crottinger, here with a very special episode today, one you can say which was serendipitous. So as you are already very aware, I was in Roatan back in November, part of my I will get certified in coral restoration even if it kills me plan. The first day of class, it was just me, my husband, and a very kind but quiet Englishman named Charlie crammed into a shoebox of a classroom slash storage room that blessedly at least had air conditioning. Throughout this class, our instructor Jen would ask Charlie for a few clarifications on things, and I assumed he just had his marine biology degree and was very wise in the ways of science. The next day, we were preparing for our first nursery dive, and I asked Charlie what brought him to Roatan, especially what brings an Englishman to the Caribbean, and he said he was there for his dive master certification. I had no idea how the subject came up, but like with most dives, someone eventually mentioned sharks, and following with dive tradition, he added his shark mention and spoke of Shark Lab Malta. And I, rather elegantly, responded, No way! Are you kidding me? I love that organization! He looked at me like I had three heads and asked, You've heard of Shark Lab Malta? To which I went on a small dialogue about how I followed them on Instagram and how I love their outreach program and their awareness program and I love their Adopt-A-Shark program, but given its size, not many people have heard of it. And that's how I found out the very smart Englishman sitting behind me in class was the science officer for Shark Lab Malta. Hi, I'm Charlie. I'm the science officer for Shark Lab Malta, although you may have noticed that Rotan is not in the Mediterranean, um, so I'm not there at the moment. And then I asked, though it was probably more like begging, for an interview, which he was so kind to oblige. A quick word about this interview. We were blasted with a Sanderson-esque high storm while recording. I did my best to remove background rain. You'll also hear an air compressor because we were above a dive shop. And you're gonna hear chickens because, well, why not? All right, let's dive in to this very special Shark and Ray episode. So Charlie, what brings you to Roatan in the first place? Uh, I've just about to finish my dive master. Much just like with anything else, you need to get things rubber stamped in life. So I'd like to say I can dive, but now I have at least proof that <laughs> I can say I can dive. And you can rescue one of your uh, people if needed, right? Oh yeah, I mean, yeah. If, and, if and when the needs arise. All right, I know this isn't a very fair question, but I have to ask it. What is your favorite species of shark or ray? Oh, it changes a lot. I would genuinely like die happy if I could see like a um, like a common or a big eye thresher. Yes. Because I've seen one dead before, but I've never seen one alive. I saw one in the fish market once that was, I think, about four and a half meters long, like nearly five meters, like maybe four seventy-five. A good half of that, over half of that, was its tail. Yeah. And all I could think of was I would have loved to have seen you swimming, and obviously hammerheads because everyone loves hammerhead. But I've only ever seen a hammerhead in an aquarium and it was sleeping, so it was doing the... The spin. The spin. So sharks seem to be pretty divisive. You either love them or you're terrified of them. So what is the backstory between Charlie and sharks? To be completely honest, I feel like they get a very bad reputation. Mm -hmm. I mean, I know everyone will say that about every species they study. They're like, ah, oh, frogs get a bad reputation or chickens or whatever it is. But I think sharks in particular, like you meet anyone that says, oh... I dive, or I free dive, or I, even if I go spearfishing, the number one question they're going to ask you is, what about sharks? Yeah, yeah. And through no fault of their own, they've just been a bit demonized. Mm -hmm. And, well, different people want to save different things, and I think you've got to speak up and try and study and understand things that can't speak up for themselves. And, well, I feel like sharks fit it more to that category than rays, I'd say, mm -hmm. even yeah. though I'm a bit biased there. What do you do at Shark Lab Malta, and what is your area of study? Uh, so, a whole load. So, I've mainly been away from the island now for 
I think about a year, but I was there for about a year and a half. Started as literally just an intern and then ended up as the science officer somehow, who knows how. <laughs> but while we were there, so a lot of uh, like population monitoring. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of a couple of things we did. One was we worked with a project called Fly With Bull Race, which is what the tattoo is. Yeah. And that's mainly to do with trying to understand bull rays as a species. They, until 2020, were data deficient, or were considered data deficient by the IUCN. Um, So the same people that do the red list, so critically endangered, uh, threatened, yada, yada, yada. Data deficient basically means we don't know. And despite the fact that they're an incredibly shallow species, I think they're generally found from about zero metres to about 60, which, okay, 60 is pretty deep, but... In the grand scheme of things, like yeah. 60 is a drop in the ocean. They just weren't studied. No one understood anything about them, um, let alone uh, what their life stages are or anything like that. And through Fly With Bull Rays as a project, which actually got started by an old intern that was at Shark Lab Malta, we managed to get them designated as critically endangered. No way! Um, huh. Which, okay, is not great because they're still critically endangered. I mean, yeah, but, but you got them on the list. Steps are steps. Right. Um, and we're just trying to understand more and more about them. Mm-hmm. So uh, we're currently in the process of trying to disseminate a lot of data to understand or to prove more than anything that Malta is a nursery site. Or a, I'm going to say a nursery site, not the nursery site, because there could be hundreds of nursery sites around the Mediterranean that we just don't know about yet. But generally, we always find the little babies in Malta. And I say little is operative word. I mean, we're talking babies that are about 40, 50 centimetres across. So... They get, quite, they, get quite, they get quite a bit bigger than that. Yeah. We're just trying to understand kind of where they go. And we did that through, they have a pattern on their back, which you can, I can see here, <laughs> but people listening might not be able to see. And which is kind of like, I'll say squiggly lines, but that doesn't do it justice. Mm-hmm. It's r- remarkably well camouflaged in the sand, despite the fact that these lines are bright electric blue. Um, it kind of looks like ripples in the sand as it goes along. And that's actually their fingerprint. So it stays constant as they age. And so the idea being that if you take a photo of them, like parallel from above, you can take that and then in five, ten years' time, let's say someone takes another photo, the same way you can be like, oh, that's Nigel or (laughs) that's whoever. So are you relying a lot on citizen scientists then? It is heavy reliance on citizen science, although there isn't that... That's saying a bit rude. Not that there isn't that much, but... The quality of photos, you need a certain quality right. to be able to kind of disseminate it properly. A lot of it, I've had, there's an amazing team that still does stuff at Shark Malta. Big shout out to a guy called Christian Crusoe, who's done a lot of work with machine learning and nice. helping this. Because previously it was, you had to use a program to turn the images black and white and then manually be like, is this right? These guys look the same to you? <laughs> Which you can imagine takes so long. All right, so you went from no data to enough data to list them as a critically endangered species. That's huge. What is happening to the bull ray? In Malta specifically, I'd probably say it's a wide variety of things. On regarding direct human contact, I mean, bycatch is a fact. Yeah. It happens. Like you occasionally see them in the markets, and by occasionally, I mean very occasionally. Mm-hmm. I maybe saw two or three in my entire time, and I was going to the down to the fish market. Like what? two three times a week ish yeah. but it, it does happen alternatively you do get uh, sometimes trophy hunting mm-hmm. is an issue as obviously they're quite shallow species um so there has been occasions where we know that spear fishermen have gone out mm-hmm. and shot them but i would like to say that that is not 
the majority whatsoever. Mm-hmm. I think a l- the vast majority of spear fishermen, they know the ocean, but they probably know it much better than I do, mm-hmm. just because they're out in it so much more. But it is a thing that does happen. Mm-hmm. The main problems, I'd say, would be declining habitats. Mm-hmm. So they rely very heavily on Poseidon grass or Posidonia oceanica, which is a type of seagrass that's just endemic to the Mediterranean. Incredibly pretty, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, we'd always find them kind of in sand patches adjacent to these. And frankly, just despite the fact that it's so important, and I think Posidonia might even be protected. Don't quote me on that. Oh, hey, it's me. I'm just jumping on here to tell you a little bit more about this Poseidon grass, also known as Neptune grass. It is found exclusively in the Mediterranean, and its protections depend on where it's growing in the Mediterranean. The IUCN has Poseidon grass listed as least concern, but does say populations are declining. In Spain, the species and habitat are protected, and the fields off the coast of Ibiza and Formentera were declared a World Heritage Site by UNESCO. But despite that, Postonia beds are fewer and far between, and as they're often relatively shallow and coastal, there's a lot of development in Malta. So as like more shore development happens, like hotels and God knows what else, like beaches, and it just means there's a whole lot more pressure on those ecosystems. Um, on top of that, the Mediterranean, as we know, is obviously chronically overfished, and so you kind of get this whole cascade of effects. And this isn't just linked to Malta; they are migratory. So. The babies we see, as I've mentioned quite a lot, but the adults, I've never seen an adult. Really? Never. I like your time, never once. I've never seen, I, I know of them, and right. I know, for example, you can see them in the Canary Islands, mm. which, at least in my mind, that means that there's got to be some kind of migration pattern outwards, right. kind of towards Gibraltar and through. Um, it, particularly as they can be found all the way down the west coast of Africa. Well, historically, they used to be. Huh. Um, in South Africa, they're called duck-billed eagle rays, Duck just to be extra rays. confusing. <laughs> but it's more of just a cascade of effects, and the fact they just unfortunately happen to decide to live in one of the most difficult places in the world to be a shark or a ray. Are bull rays considered an apex predator species, a keystone species? What are, what are they? I wouldn't say they're necessarily keystone, mm-hmm. just because their numbers just aren't that high to begin with anyway. Okay. I would say... They're particularly charismatic, and obviously people are more interested in charismatic species. Yeah. Like it's, a lot more in- it, it's a lot easier to get people interested in you know, like a two-meter-wide eagle ray that's right. like electric blue than it is in like a sea slug, but a sea slug might be more important for the right. ecosystem. Um, I think it was more the sense of why we kind of elected to focus on that was because despite what I've just said, like they mm-hmm. seem very interesting in... I don't know if interesting is the right word, but they seem... Cool. Cool yeah. Cool is the right word. They seem very cool, but no one had looked into them. There have been a couple of papers from Turkey, uh, particularly in the far east of the country, around Iskenderun Bay, where they've done a few uh, studies on their size and their length and used that to kind of estimate how fast they grow. But to be honest, they are, they're, they're an important kind of shallow water predator, as mm-hmm. any other ray species would be, torpedo rays, stingrays, anything like that. I mean, that better habitat, better protections, all that sort of thing. That doesn't just benefit them, that benefits a whole range of animals. When it comes to sharks, what is the one shark myth that drives you absolutely mad? The major myth is that, that I think just permeates through a lot of culture, is that they're just, you know, bloodthirsty eating machines. So I did some work years ago in Indonesia with ghillie shark conservation, who mm-hmm. are incredible, genuinely. And there was a guy there who said to me, basically, 
If you see a shark in the water, it's because it wants to be seen. Mm -hmm. Basically, the second you get in, they know you're there. I did a lot of work on electrosense, so like electrosensitivity. And yeah, it's true. Like Their electrosensitivity is ridiculous. Of mm -hmm. course, they'd know you're there like, the second you get in the water. And okay, not just to do with that, but for various other reasons. They are generally pretty shy. Mm -hmm. like, they just want to be left to their own devices like any other animal. That's why if you go through and... If you are the type of person that goes through and looks at shark attack statistics, it's always provoked, unprovoked. Mm -hmm. And provoked is always miles higher, purely because people have gone out of the way to poke them or harass them or anything like that. Mm -hmm. So I think that's what I would... My biggest pet peeve is people thinking that you see a shark and it's like, oh my God, it's going to eat me. Yeah. And it's like, no, it's just doing its own thing. If it's coming over to you, it's because it's curious. Yeah. I mean, imagine if you're a fish and then this hairless ape <laughs> is just swimming past you and you're like what is that <laughs> it's like that that is weird okay so i know you touched on electrosensitivity a little bit but i really want to explore that more can you go into a little bit more detail about how sharks perceive their environment they have these pores generally over their snouts but rays they can kind of be over to their wings and these little pores are called ampullae of lorenzini and these little pores are full of to be technical, filled with a glycoprotein gel that connects them electrically. So this, uh, it's the same conductivity as seawater. So basically it mean, allows them to perceive electrical fields. Now, there are differing opinions as to basically what the sharks are perceiving mm -hmm. and how they perceive things. An example could be bioelectric fields. Mm -hmm. So let's say a heartbeat's going, that's generating an electric field. Mm -hmm they can detect it. Uh, that's fairly well established. Other things such as, let's say you have two stingrays that are hiding in the sand and for want of a better term, want to get jiggy with it. How do they find each other? <laughs> Often not, they're going to be really camouflaged. So mm -hmm. they'll even use that for, I think the technical term is conspecific detection mm -hmm. for finding mates, early life predator avoidance as well. So let's say you have like a little shark in an egg case. There have been studies, I think it's from the, even the 80s. So it's been, I've known for a while, but hasn't really been expanded until recently where if you mimic kind of the electrical field of a predator mm -hmm. going nearby, they, they don't stop breathing obviously because they don't breathe, but mm -hmm. their respiration rate declines rapidly. So they almost like they freeze as in like a, if I don't move, they can't see me. <laughs> the one that is kind of more up for debate is how they do this. Now we know that sharks and rays and other animals migrate incredibly long distances through the sea. Now, obviously it's nice and easy if you're by the coast, you can just kind of follow it along. But straight out into the blue, there's no points of reference. And there's been a bit of a debate as to how they do it. I remember reading a paper, I think it was by a guy called, I think it was Anderson et al from like, 2017 I think where it was theorized that basically the movement of seawater through the earth's ambient magnetic field might induce the smallest of electrical currents That's that allows them to navigate now I truth be told mm -hmm. I haven't kept up with the literature mm -hmm. that much but for whatever reason that kind of really stuck with me as a you know what that kind of makes sense mm -hmm. but again that is high, much higher level research than I'm doing. So I can't claim to be an absolute expert on the topic. So I am not smart in the ways of science. So asking this question might be a little weird, but do shipping lanes and boats interfere with their ability to use their electromagnetic senses and navigate? I would say that shipping lanes and boats would more interfere in terms of noise yeah. or strikes okay. rather than interacting with magnetic, the Earth's magnetic field, as mm -hmm. obviously. It's one thing to like put a magnet, a small magnet next to a compass, mm -hmm. but it's another thing for 
meaning the grand scheme of the world, have it, okay, even if it's an a thousand ton ship or something, it adds a, literally a drop in the ocean in comparison to everything else. Right. Or at least that, that's my logic anyway. Yeah. The people must know, do sharks have any other cool superpowers? Do you know about tonic immobility? So tonic immobility, there's a few debates as to why sharks can do this. So fundamentally, it's if you flip a shark over, so if you imagine you go dorsal fin facing towards the surface, mm -hmm. if you flip them over so the dorsal fin is facing down, they basically go into a sort of coma. Nobody kind of has an idea of why. I read a theory recently, potentially might be something to do with mating. Mm -hmm. So shark mating is, to be perfectly honest, pretty violent. I don't think it's Oslo violent, but you'll often see a lot of mating scars on females from places like pectoral fins being shredded to, mm -hmm. uh, you know, sides being scuffed up is a very nice term to use it's a bit more than scuffed yeah. and I, ca I can't for the life of me remember where i read this but i need to like fact check it but it's potentially that going tonic would basically stop more violence from happening mm -hmm. because if you have two very alert pre apex predators mm -hmm. trying to do something yeah. and it's, well i mean it's not the most consensual thing in the world <laughs> you're more likely to suffer injury and yeah. particularly if you're an apex predator injury is mm -hmm you can't afford to have one. Right. Like, you lose an eye, that might Im impact your abil ability to hunt. Mm -hmm. Not even might, it will impact your yeah. ability to hunt, your ability to eat, you could die. Right. So even if one of you goes tonic, or you can flip someone to be tonic, that decreases your chance of, being in of getting injured, either of you, by a significant margin. I can't remember if it was on ITV or BBC, is a French guy who basically built his way up toniking sharks. Like he started with like lemon sharks and worked his way up and full on flipped an adult female great white in South oh. Africa. Just whoop. No, thank you. And <laughs> she's asleep. Just la 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 la. So you mean to tell me if a very angry tiger shark is headed my way, just flip it over? I mean, it, it, it'll ignore. I mean, yeah. it, it's the classics. Yeah. It'll ignore you. If it doesn't, basically, it's, it'll, it's body language. Yeah. Like, if you make yourself look like you're not going to be an easy meal, they're not going to bother. Right. Because why would they bother with something that's going to injure them? Mm -hmm. So your classics, nose, because obviously you're incredibly sensitive, particularly with the electrosense, eyes, gills. Yeah. Like, um, I don't know if you remember a couple of years ago on Blue Planet 2, um, there was an octopus that mm -hmm. was being attacked by a shark, mm -hmm. grabbed its gills. Yeah. Same concept. I mean, I'm not saying go out and grab shark's gills. Don't, because <laughs> don't cause do that. that would hurt them a lot and we don't want them to be hurt. Right, right. I read somewhere, and I can't remember where I read it, but it said, a reef without sharks is a dead reef. Can you expand on that for me, please? So, um, apex predators are incredibly important for reef health, just as a whole. They remove uh, ill and injured fish, they keep populations in check. For example, uh, I remember years ago, I believe this is the Gilly Islands, or around there for a while, it's a place that basically got, it might have not been the case, it might have been the Red Sea, either way, the location is important for tourist reasons basically got rid of all their tiger sharks just oh, gosh. F f fish them all out i don't know if it was in response to a tourist being bitten or just general anxieties but either way they fish them all out okay so there's no tiger sharks anymore there's more turtles now so mm -hmm. they must think oh brilliant problem is turtles the, there was no nothing to eat the turtles mm -hmm. so it's a classic turtles eat all kind of the vegetation they have available turtles then move to eating corals because there's nothing else to eat mm -hmm. and reef is impacted and i'm not i'm not just talking about this in just one area mm -hmm. but so you may have noticed here for example mm -hmm. particularly in this part of Roatan, um i've yet to see a single shark here I haven't seen a single um, shark 
Or even, if you next time you're out on a dive, have a look around for apex predators of any kind, like big barracudas, anything like that, basically non-existent. Yeah. And because of that, I mean, as ironic as it sounds, the fish assemblages here are worse. Yeah. Like I had a heartbreaking moment on a dive earlier this week where um, a little blue tang mm -hmm. kind of sw swam up to me. And I worked in an aquarium for a little bit, mm -hmm. so I'm not going to claim to be good at animal husbandry, mm -hmm. but good enough to know when an animal is really not looking very well. Yeah. Like, his fins were basically kind of falling apart, he looked shredded. Like, it was heartbreaking yeah. to see. Not only just from the perspective of he's probably in a lot of pain and discomfort, mm -hmm. but it was also of how, are you, how have you not been picked off? How are you still alive? Right. Like, how has something not come along and just yeah. grabbed you? So sharks are more like the angels of mercy on the reef. Kind of, yeah. yeah. That's a very nice way of looking at it, I suppose. <laughs> but no, it's it's a bit like how, um, I think it was years ago, is it Yellowstone they reintroduced wolves to? Yes. Yeah, similar concept. Mm -hmm. Idaho last year actually wanted to wipe out 90% of the wolves. Anyway, it's so no wolves and Yellowstone. It's a similar concept. So <laughs> if you're familiar with wolves being reintroduced and the positive impacts that had, mm -hmm. sharks basically the same. Interesting. When sharks dream of monsters, what do they dream of besides the hairless ape? In other words, what is the shark afraid of? Yes, so orcas are, I mean, for want of a better word, the biggie cheese. Like, <laughs> no, nothing eats them. It's, like, if you were to look at, um, in a very, very nerdy way, if you look at, I don't know, balance, mm -hmm. we'll say, between predators, like, generally, or well, not generally, but I'd like to think that you're either smart, you're fast, or you're strong. Mm -hmm. It's like, pick two. It's like, have you ever seen the thing where it's like, do you want a social life, sleep, or, yeah, sure. same thing. <laughs> So in my head, I'm like, okay, pick two. Mm -hmm. Orcas have all three. Mm -hmm. And not only do they have all three, they have intelligence in insane abundance. Even knowing how to tonic sharks, for mm -hmm. example. So that's a, a big problem in South Africa now. Mm -hmm. As in some parts of South Africa, obviously where great whites are very, very famous for, or famous for large populations mm -hmm. of, those populations have vanished. Really? In response to orca predation. Like, orcas are just rolling them upside down? Rolling them upside down, eating the livers and leaving. But... It's, it's not that they've eaten all the sharks, mm -hmm. it's the sharks are fully aware they're being yeah. preyed upon and they're not going to hang around. They're going to leave to go somewhere else that is slightly friendlier. I believe um, researchers are still trying to figure out exactly where they've gone off to. Um, and it's not to say that it's not all shark populations, but mm -hmm. definitely great whites have kind of disappeared in response to being preyed upon by orcas. Yikes. Humans have a very unique talent of sticking our grubby little fingers into things and messing things up. So if we continue on our course of sticking grubby fingers into things and ruining them, what's gonna happen to sharks? There will be no sharks, flat out. So it's it's very easy to point fingers at one particular industry. Mm -hmm. So for a long time, shark finning was very mm -hmm. in vogue. And don't get me wrong, it's terrible mm -hmm. as a concept. But I think the biggest threat facing sharks is bycatch. Like the vast majority of sharks, they're not targeted. It's not like a fisherman goes out and says, oh, I want to catch this. Because fundamentally, kind of, even in places where it's eaten, it's not very high quality meat. It's, mm -hmm. there's loads of, like, as it's an apex predator, all kind of heavy metals and toxins, obviously, like, get in large concentrations, the higher up the food chain you get. So, theoretically, that could even be, like, microplastics and that sort of thing. And they're very ammonia heavy. Some shark flesh is just flat out toxic, which is always hilarious when you see it being sold in a fish market and you're like, are you really going to sell that? <laughs> so it's mainly bycatch that is the big problem in industrialised fishing. So your classics, long line, like indiscriminate long lines, trawling, all that sort of thing. And not only that, but it's not only catching the sharks, 
it's also catching their food. So it's so much harder to well, compete. I mean, how is a single animal going to compete against a fishing fleet right. to catch food? It can't. Yeah, it um, and particularly in the Mediterranean, for example, collapse of tuna fisheries. So historically, tuna obviously appears in a lot of Mediterranean diets. That's because, well, there's a lot of tuna around. And now there's aren't that many tuna left. And most of the tuna that is left are normally aquaculture. So funnily enough, in Malta, you can actually find there are, there are aquaculture pens. Mm-hmm. And I know anecdotally from a few uh, fishermen friends of mine that used to like, go out in kayaks and stuff, mm-hmm. they'd always see like blue sharks and stuff hanging around, mm-hmm. around, around the pens just because, well, they go they can smell the food and right. that's kind of where it is. But generally, it's bycatch, it's finning to an extent, illegal fishing, unregulated fishing, particularly on the high seas. Mm-hmm. And even when you do get legal fishing, isn't there's no guarantee that quotas are indeed what they say they are. Right. Like, there's no guarantee that, as we obviously covered in yeah. class, mislabeling is a huge problem, right. regardless of what country you're in, be it like Honduras, mm-hmm. America, the UK, Malta, Turkey, wherever it is. Mislabeling happens, and often, genuinely, I would say it's more often than not not malicious. Mm-hmm. It's just it's a lack of information. Like for Malta, the uh, how the fish market worked was basically type in the name or the Maltese name, mm-hmm. and it would come up with like a very very like low resolution picture. We're talking like, like two pixels. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, <laughs> so but by all means, you mm-hmm. can, and a lot of the names are very very similar. And um, this is Matsola in Maltese moon shark mm-hmm. but it's a wide wide range of what it could be mm-hmm. so it, it, it's not it's not their fault at all they're not trying yeah. to be malicious um, like if you actually chat to the fishermen they are very clued up they mm-hmm. know funnily enough know fisheries management a lot better than the guys that are in doing fisheries management but fundamentally they need livelihoods for their families right. and, and everything else that comes with that right. so like it's it's not wanting to demonize or slight that at all mm-hmm. because it's needed I mean insane amounts of the world rely on the sea as their primary source of protein. It's just trying to figure out better and more sustainable ways to achieve that. Even little things like this. Mm-hmm. Like, there's been some studies recently where they found that, for whatever reason, blue sharks are more likely to be caught at certain depths around full moons. Now, no one necessarily acquires a clue. I mean, obviously, weird things happen in full moons in the sea. Obviously, yeah. you just get big tides. But it, it could even be as simple as, okay, well, when it comes to a full moon, we'll set the lines higher or mm-hmm. something like that or at least that would be my idea but again i'm not in fisheries management i yeah. like i'm just a guy You're you know guy. I, I don't have a voice and i'm not even claiming to be an expert because i'm not given all of your research and all of your time spent with sharks if there were three things you could do to save sharks what would they be also give us a statistic on shark populations how are they doing oh i think it's uh since the 70s and we'll go with the Mediterranean because I think this is more accurate. Because like since the 70s, shark population in the Mediterranean has declined by like something like 98%. Whoa! 98%? Like 98, 97%. There or thereabouts. Okay, the Mediterranean is particularly bad. I just want to clarify that. Yeah. Which is, it's in need of a lot of love. In my head, I have this very naive idea that the Mediterranean is called like the cradle of Western civilization. Mm-hmm. So why not focus on it as a, a way to do things better in the future? Mm-hmm even though that is very naive, I'm completely aware. Um, regarding things to actually help shark populations as a whole, awareness is huge. You'd be surprised how many people are still terrified of sharks to this day. I say awareness is number one. Say getting people more educated about sharks just as a whole, be it understanding more about how they're not bloodthirsty killing machines. Or My idea is if you like 
not humanizing them because humanizing animals is kind of wrong because you're attributing attributes to them mm -hmm. that well they might not have you're like you're saying oh it looks sad it's like mm -hmm. it does not have any clue what sad is <laughs> no eyebrows <laughs> yeah but i believe there was a huge drive you know when save the whales was a huge thing like whales had almost like a big pr drive mm -hmm. to kind of rehabilitate because if you think about 100 years ago 150 years ago it's like whales what are they good for blubber i don't yeah. know but changes over time they're no longer this great sea beast they're mm -hmm. beautiful they're majestic and i really think that if the kind of the same thing could happen to sharks that would be amazing i'm not going to say it will mm -hmm. just because of pop culture yeah. um, and that's not a dig on pop culture either like we all love terrible shark films because they are fundamentally terrible shark films they're <laughs> hilarious like deep blue sea is objectively one of the best worst films ever made i love it I so i want to say a few words to you 1998 there are thereabouts okay. samuel l jackson yes. ll cool j genetically engineered clever giant mako sharks so, that's so dumb <laughs> it, it is ge genuine it has no right to be as good as it is but it is so good okay. and ll cool j is phenomenal it, genuinely <laughs> it, it is so good genuinely okay. i'm not saying you're gonna get the free willy equivalent for sharks yeah. because that truly would be something but yeah awareness honestly I, things that can just help the planet generally mm -hmm. like as Obviously, as oceans warm, as we know this, habitat shift. And within your habitat shift, you get trophic shifts. So when I, I mean by trophic shifts mm -hmm. is, let's say you have, we use krill as an example in the Antarctic. Mm -hmm. So krill are like the base of the food chain, but they rely on obviously phytoplankton mm -hmm. and phytoplankton rely on sea ice. So you get no sea ice, you get no phytoplankton, you get no krill, you get no anything else. And then suddenly, whoop, there's a huge shift or if the sea ice melts a month earlier, and it's meant to then suddenly all these animals that are right right we migrate at the same time every year they can't get to it so anything that helps the planet as a whole will help sharks too fundamentally like it's all linked yeah. like all these systems are linked then no matter how much we'd love to kind of separate them and be like okay we'll just help these guys yeah. it'll be fine like particularly as a prime example of this is um okay let's just use an arbitrary example here um Let's say uh, someone in India gets more than killed by a tiger, okay? Mm -hmm. Might make national news in India. Might even make it international news around the world, okay? The first guy to be killed by a shark in 60 years at Bondi in Australia, international news for weeks. Seriously. You know? Wow. To be fair, pretty gruesome, and there was footage of it, but... It kind of goes to show that there is, there is this fascination with them as sort of as like big bad evil, yeah. um, but yeah. you know th that's just more of the prime example of the PR that's needed. Yeah. Um, or actually, I remember this would have been two years ago now. Um, some newspapers in the UK, okay, not particularly great ones. Are you talking about the Daily Mail? I'm not going to name names. Um, <laughs> okay. Sure. Uh, that there was a study that found that the Thames were actually much healthier than they thought. So, for example, you had spur dogs and, um, God, why have I forgotten them? And other shark, small shark species um, that were living in like the Thames estuary, which is yeah, phenomenal. Or even, or even, or even seahorses in the Thames, which Seriously? is amazing. Wow. Um, okay. And some of these newspapers ran with the headline, poisonous sharks in the Thames under the logic of 
The sharks are poisonous because they eat jellyfish. Wow. I've literally handled a spur dog, like a live spur dog, that wasn't particularly happy. Okay, mm. they're not going to be particularly happy, but he was there. Mm-hmm. His his spines were there. They're not poisonous. Yeah. Like, and it, it's just things like there's no fact checking. There's no yeah. anyone calling them out. And even if you were to call them out, who like. By that point, everyone's already read the headline. Exactly. It's just general ignorance. That's ridiculous. So to wrap this whole episode up, what is your most memorable shark moment? I don't want to say most memorable in a sad way because that's a downer. I don't want to be a downer. Downer? Um, okay. We'll, oh, we'll go downer to upper okay, is what go. we'll do. Okay. Um, so it's actually the spur dog. Mm-hmm. So I used to go to the fish market. So how it worked in Malta was there's a fish, a big fish market down in Marza. And we'd go there, we had special permission to go there before it opened, any day we wanted to go. So that means a nice 2am wake up to get down there, because the market opens at 4am. So basically the earlier you get down there, the earlier you can kind of get through it. And obviously on busy nights, there's a lot of crates to go through, to measure, like, sex the sharks and all that sort of thing. Uh, We're like about to leave one evening, and I noticed that a spur dog that was for sale, his gills were still going, meaning he was alive. Or she was alive, sorry. Now, I know this has happened before, and to be perfectly frank, we weren't prepared for this sort of thing. So it was more of a, how much do you want for that, like, right now? Get it. Sent some in, some people I was with off to go get seawater, like, basically as quick as. Because literally all we had was, like, a plastic bucket there. And we're like, we had seawater with us, which we normally use for shark eggs or ray eggs we find them but not the kind of quantity we needed for keeping a spur dog alive was not in a good way obviously so i at the at the time i was still just an intern and i couldn't for the life of me remember if they could ram ventilate or not which means that they don't have to swim Mm -hmm. to breathe so i was like right i'm just gonna force water through this shark's gills literally plastic bottle seawater cradling like a baby like water through water through mm-hmm. water through was there for about three four hours doing this just improved declined sadly died and just from the way that i was holding it it meant that i felt its last the heartbeat just go and that was it and i eventually got back to my flat at like nine in the morning as obviously everyone else was going to work and i've been awake for seven hours mm-hmm. i was yeah just lowest of the low just not for the sense of Spur dogs are rare, and I don't want it to be about that you, know, you should only care about things that they're rare. Mm-hmm. It's the fact that seemingly she was so close yeah. to surviving. And that is memorable just because it's just a sense of, I think before I, not that I wouldn't have cared about smaller things, mm-hmm. because obviously you care about them all, but it was more of a, nah, you've got to try for everyone. Yeah. Like, okay, you can't save them all, but you've got to at least try. Conversely to that, most memorable would have probably been... So I was there in Malta. I was working on my birthday. Uh, not on a particularly great day. Went out to a certain site, which is like, you know, it is what it is. Like, it's a day. Didn't expect anything. And then had three bull rays appear within, like, five minutes of each other. Just bang, 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 three of them. And just... I remember, like, the first time I ever saw one, I just, it's just mind-blowing. Like, I understand that, you know, spotted, you can find spotted eagle rays here and they're much bigger and impressive. But even just seeing them that small and thinking, like, I hope you grow up to be able to be, like, the ocean giant that you deserve to be. Mm-hmm. Just, it just, it just sticks with me. It yeah. sticks with you. 
Charlie, thank you so much for chatting with me, especially after an extremely exhausting series of dives. I am so grateful to you for sharing your knowledge and your passion, but also dedicating your life to these stunning and unique creatures. If you want to support Charlie and his work, you can follow Shark Lab Malta on Instagram at Shark Lab Malta or check out their website at www.sharklab-malta.org where you can adopt a shark and support the lab's effort to collect eggs from recently caught sharks at the Maltese wholesale fish market and raise them until they are old enough to be released back into the wild. Also, if you like the ocean and you want to support the Roatan Marine Park, 100% of Wild Roots Art Division profits are going directly to coral restoration there. Once again, thank you so much for listening and stay tuned for next episode.